ladies and gentlemen, members of the internet, and just anybody listening. The award for best podcast goes to To another awesome episode of the Lasting Podcast, I'm your host, Mr. Toffee, and I'm your co-host. What am I now again? Darth Dasha. Yeah, Darth. Yeah, let's no, go no, for wait. Darth. Yeah. No, let, let's keep the running joke running. I'm gonna be right. Director Shafik today. <laughs> I thought it's gonna be Lord Commander or some shit like that. No, I'll know. probably save that for the Halo Wars episode. We, we probably have to do eventually. <laughs> I think you'll be like adjutant, uh, Shafiq. Uh, Grand Moff. Grand, nobody rocks Grand Moff. No, no, there's no Grand. There's no Grand Moff in the Halo <laughs> universe, dude. I guess there's a... I think there'll be Shafiq dash something something something. Uh, any random number. So, you know, we're not going to be talking about video games today. We are gonna yes, be talking... we're going to talk about films, finally. <laughs> yes, be but, 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 but before that, we've got actually... We've actually seen a few couple of shows that we kind of want to get off our chest. I believe we have something you want to talk about. Something to do with a Douglas Adams book or miniseries. Am I correct? Well, I think we, I wanted to kind of go off on this show that appeared on Netflix, okay, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people are aware of this because not only is Douglas Adams' uh, work gonna, uh, adapted for this, but it is a kind of showrun put together, spearheaded, written by a internet darling Mr. Max Landis, you know, son wait, of John Landis. Wait, wait, Max Landis, uh, what was he known for? Apparently did just he appearing on YouTube Superman a bit. <laughs> uh, did he do that Death of Superman thing or was that another guy? Uh, that was him, yeah, he did the Death of oh. Superman where he got all his friends to kind of act out like, you know, probably one of the most iconic comic book, uh... I, uh, uh and how it murdered comic book death. Like, it murdered death in comic books. He has a ability to make a point, and not only that, he, only has, he also has the ability to make any topic sound interesting. Now. <laughs> yeah, so is Dirk Gently's Holistic Agency on Netflix interesting? So let, let me ask you one thing. Did you catch any of his other books? Did you see Chronicle? Actually, oh wait, wait. Chronicle it's is directed the one by his the... buddy Josh Trank. It's about is the Akira ripoff. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I've seen that. Okay, yes, that was actually an alright film. Yeah, I thought it was okay. I thought it was decent. Like, as an indie film, like two young guys, one young screenwriter, one young director. You know, like the pedigree, Mr. Landis there. Like okay, I thought yeah, it was yeah. Okay. And the fact that you know it's found footage, but there's a there's a reason why the camera was held. How, how it was held because of the guy's special powers and shit, right? Yeah. So that was actually really good. I would say that, that's the thing, like, oh, that felt smart. So maybe, like, you know, here's, here's a fresh young uh, mind uh, trying to, like, take some a genre that's very, I'll say done to death, you know, the found footage genre, and had a spin on it. And then also kind of, like, amalgamated, combined it with, like, this uh, obvious Akira ripoff. Obvi- I mean, like, not, not totally, but, I mean, the, the last scene... You know, of like the guy coming out of the hospital covered in bandages. Yep, yep. Like I had severe Tetsuo vibes. But still, <laughs> I mean like okay, then he also gave us American Ultra. Did you see this movie? Ah uh, no, I did not. No, I think this is what he's most famous for. I mean not for the movie. I mean the movie didn't do well at all, but for some he said something rather interesting. Uh, I think he tweeted about how people don't appreciate original ideas anymore and it there was a severe internet backlash. And mm-hmm. this is gonna be brought up a bit because he is 
kind of like you know internet backlash bait because he's also the guy who famously disliked he didn't dislike uh, Force Awakens but he did call out uh, the, the lead character what's his name Faye Ray oh Ray. Uh, Daisy Ridley right yeah, yeah, yeah. or Daisy so her... I was gonna say Daisy Scott I don't know why <laughs> Daisy Ridley Scott wow <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> imagine the movies she would make but I would say like uh, like he he's the guy who kind of made the Mary Sue terminology really popular all of a sudden, if you recall. Mm, yes, yes, I've read those articles. So he was like the guy who did the call to arms for all that, was it? I mean, like, yeah, he he's become a bit of a lightning rod for uh, how you say attention, okay, internet, YouTube wise. I mean, he's got a pretty interesting channel. Uh, I think it's called Up to My Knees or something. I mean, you can follow okay. him on Twitter. So I gotta okay, I gotta ask. So all that lightning rod appeal that he has, does it show in Dirk, in this in this version of Dirk Gently's holistic agency? I would say yes, and I would also say no. I mean, I think the main problem I have with Dirk Gently's holistic agency right, is that uh, I would come into it thinking, how would Max Landis adapt Douglas Adams, and would he pull it off, or would his voice be too strong? Or would like something like that was written by Douglas Adams be uh, a bit out of his league? Because the thing about Douglas Adams shows books, I mean like the movies and even the adaptations, right? It has a certain quality and humor. Like mm-hmm. like I mean his most well known work is definitely Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which has been adapted several times. As a, I think yeah. there's radio play, there was like a, a TV show and a movie. Yeah, the British TV show. Yeah, that was. Yeah. And then there's <laughs> anyway. So yeah, there's this very there's a very certain stifling kind of uh like very dry humor about it, you know where certain absurdist uh ideas and certain how you say like you know when it gets very uh off kilter, but at the same time that very strong British kind of you know this is normal this is polite I'm gonna maintain my dignity I'm gonna like weird things are happening but I'm just gonna stay cool because I'm English you know like like when Martin Freeman played um. Uh, Martin Freeman's version of Hitchhiker like I like that you know uh, how you say personification of the narrator the most mm-hmm. because it's like like one of my favourite lines is that, that scene where you know as an English or as a, as a British person you know, I know how to cue or something like that <laughs> and like he had the perfect kind of um, his responses his facial his emotional responses to like things just going crazy like the destruction of the world you know and like seeing his girlfriend like you're still alive what how did this happen you know and like I thought like okay so the thing is like most fans of Douglas Adams or people who are aware of Douglas Adams will probably have this kind of action to the back of their heads like okay maybe it's gonna be this level of uh, funny or this level of weird and you feel that does this carry across like what Max Landis did for Drake Gently I would say like he kind of made it very important to have his voice not be uh, how you say in the shadow of uh, the Douglas Adams source material. Now I mean, mm. okay, I need to uh, kind of make a disclaimer. I did not see the pre the previous adaptations of this. In fact, I need to be super honest. Like I didn't even know that the Dirk Gently books existed. Like I'm okay, uh, maybe we can go back one step. Like just talk a little bit about what this story is about. So it's about. Uh, it's about a holistic detective. <laughs> yeah. So who? Yeah. Uh, okay, here's the thing. Uh, Dirk gently. Oh my god, I need to get my notes out. <laughs> but okay, uh, don't be fooled by the thumbnail. Okay, Elijah Wood is not the main character, but he is pretty much more the how you would say uh, the exposition magnet. Okay, I, I hate to use that term a lot, but the thing is, right, he is caught in a wo- in a world where things just go bizarre very quickly. 
Mm, and basically, okay. he represents us. And, and the thing is, right, when I was watching this show, I had that strong vibe that Max Landis, being such a, how you say, a very technically proficient screenwriter, he would have, like, he arranged it in a way where, like, uh, when the weird things happen, there's always a situation where it's explained to you. And then there's also moments where things aren't explained to you. And that's probably him trying to be clever or trying to keep, like, you know, certain plot points away from you so that, you know, when it things are revealed it looks very poppy like it'll just pop at you I mean like if you were to watch his interviews or see him like talk on like YouTube right like the way he even like pitches his ideas you can kind of sense he has a certain flow ah right you know what I mean like he'll say this happens this happens and then and then bam you know like and then whoa the profound moment so who carries the show I mean Dirk Gently himself or I would say okay the the actor playing Dirk Gently. Oh god, do I need to IMDb this? Open IMDb, it's the source of all our powers or every other podcast's powers. Man, thank you, internet, for existing and allowing me to not have all this backed up into my brain. <laughs> because, <laughs> seriously, I mean, how, how, how else are we going to do this? Okay, but let me just uh, very quickly look through the folders. Uh, there's a guy named Samuel Barnett. That's Dirk Gently, right? Yeah, I, I thought he was pretty cool, uh, but at the same time, mm, like, okay, so, uh, Samuel Barnett as Dirk Gently, the titular character, okay, I think he did a very good job of being the only British guy. Ah, I would okay. say, like, because he, he, he maintained, he, I mean, he played English, I, I don't I think he is English, no, but he, his voice, his mannerisms, and the way he, uh, how you say, delivers lines and reacts to the other characters, he mm-hmm. felt like a true Douglas Adams character and the thing is but he doesn't really carry the show because he's pretty much the I would say the catalyst for all the weirdness that's uh, gonna happen and then yeah. we have Elijah Wood playing Todd Brodsman which uh, is Dirk Gently's reluctant sidekick like he doesn't want to have anything to do with anything but he's just drawn into this world like the situation just forces him to like you know be part of this so-called holistic detective agency team. Something like how Arthur is in the tick, except that superhero. Yeah, I would say that like like interconnected he, stuff. Like yeah, he he plays the foil perfectly. And the thing about Elijah Wood, right, he's got these like super expressive eyes. And when like things like shit hits the fan and you just like things go out of control and how he reacts to it, I, I thought it was like okay, he was perfectly cast. But at the mm, same time, like okay. I was kind of hoping he would do his like pseudo English Frodo kind of voice, so like the two characters don't seem so mismatch. Yeah. But also, so, yeah. So it's uh, so, but at the same time, you feel that his acting was pretty cool, uh, in that sense. I mean, he does it's... he does the job well. I think he's 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 a very good actor, and like uh, as a character, you know, you kind of feel for him, especially like the pratfalls and when like shit hits the fan. So okay, tell you what. Um, I'm so is this worth the ten? Is this worth the ten episodes? It's ten, right? It's a, or is it's, a, it's a very solid ten episodes, which you can probably chomp down in about like a day. I mean, if you want to binge it. And the thing is, uh, I think this is the kind of show you need to binge, because there's a lot of uh, I wouldn't say plot holes, but plot gaps, because these gaps get filled up very quickly in the next episode, in the following episode. And if you were to binge watch this, and then if you were to have like a, how you say, a clear memory of what happened in previous episodes, then the puzzle kind of falls to- together rather than you have to figure out what's going on. Which is hmm, why okay. I-, I would say like, this is like Max Landis at his best. He's like, he has this ability to just, how you say, tempt you and tease you with like, you know, what's going on with the story. And then at the same time, like you don't feel too, uh, um, 
aware of what's going on and you allow the madness to kind of like uh, you know fill in the gaps that your imagination takes over like it, it all just comes together and then, after you watch everything in one go and the thing is when it does come together and when they like kind of solve the case I would say I mean not really solve the case but like they figure out who it is who was behind all of it that was a very clever reveal to me and I thought wow this was very well written so oh, sounds like you really like it a lot I like show. it but I don't love it. So to me, it's like, uh, it's a strong B, I guess. I mean, okay, my favorite thing about the whole thing was uh, Fiona Dorif playing Bart Kerlish. Her name is Bart, I know. Now, she is, I wouldn't say the main antagonist, but she is... So her full name is Bartello... Because Bartholomew, Bart is full short for Bartholomew, right? So She's a girl, bro. What's the female version of that? So <laughs> Maybe, I don't know, you know? Is there a female version of a Bart? Bartony? Like, like the full version? Bartony, yeah, Bartony. Like, <laughs> like, you know, like Elizabeth Bathory, like the vampire back in Bram Stoker or okay, some shit. But she is my favourite character in the show because she's the holistic assassin. Oh, okay. And then her only sole mission is to kill Dirk Gently. And that is never explained properly when you first introduced to her. I mean, she comes off from the horizon carrying a machete and a gun. And the best thing about her is, because she's a holistic, uh, how you say, assassin, the universe won't allow her to fail or die. There's this very cool moment where she explains herself like, "Uh, I'm a holistic assassin. Okay, that's my best Bart Kralish impression. Like, Everything happens for a reason, yeah, that's why I'm Everybody kill I kill deserves to die because the universe <laughs> wants them to die. And then, like, this oh is like a very God. interesting scene. Like, okay, I gotta kill this person. And then, like, okay, she's kind of fall around. Like, there's a lot of characters I need to keep track of, her, but basically, right, when she kills a guy, that guy actually deserves to die. He is actually, like, you know, a child molester or a kidnapper or, or a murderer. <laughs> and, oh, okay, and it's like, dude, I'm actually interested in this show. And, and nice. the thing is, right, this whole movie is like got a lot of uh, time jumps and a lot of like you know um, things that are supposed to be set in stone or things that are meant to be and then mm-hmm. how even like the story kind of folds in on itself because okay I don't want to spoil too much but there's a moment where she finally faces off against Dirk and then they both realize that they're of uh, they're two beings of a certain they're not say human but they're like something else and they're aware of each other and then like then you're kind of like um Introduce like to an even bigger world beyond what is available, so mm. like the, sto- the story actually expands once they finally meet each other. Now, does she fulfill the mission and assassinate her? Well, I'm not gonna tell you that. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure there's a season two, so it's very hard to kill off the character who's in the title of the show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like. All right, so that is a solid recommendation from Shafiq right there. Oh, definitely, yeah. Check it out. I mean, and keep an open mind, but pay attention. And I would say, like Max Landis, uh. Did a good job adapting, though at the same time it felt too Max Landishy. But at the same time, that's also its strength. And it, yeah. like you know, if you're a fan of the Douglas Adams stuff, don't be too I would say precious about it. Like allow this kid to adapt. I mean, I, I thought he yeah. did a pretty decent job. So don't nitpick basically, and you'll enjoy no, it. No, but just fine. do nitpick, especially when it comes to plot points and story, because you'll be surprised how everything ties up. <laughs> you would yeah. think like oh they, they left it they, they never resolved this or that and then later they do <laughs> so I would say it's a, it's a very it's very well written and I think Max Landis did a pretty good job and like you know, uh, ignore all the hate or all the hype around this guy I think this guy is pretty much gonna be like he's the one to watch for now this is this is like the same case where people hated Tom Cruise at one point because <laughs> but then his movies were actually good at the time I mean 
uh, Last Samurai and a bunch of others. I forgot. I think that, this was a time when there was crazy Tom Cruise, you know. But I think that's more of the Scientology, less to do with Tom Cruise the actor. But then again, well, he did go crazy. I mean, for fun at one time, but, but people hate him for that. Yeah, but I mean, don't hate the person. Hate, love the movie despite the person they hate or some shit like that, You know. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up because I'm constantly telling everybody that okay, Tom Cruise is one of those actors that I can't see past the actor. <laughs> but then again, okay, let me just say. Him in Magnolia, and in Tropic Thunder, the motherfucker can act. He just has to do it. No, just just act. I mean, like even in yeah. like what was that Edge of Tomorrow? I loved him in that, you know. But yeah, Edge of Ninety percent of the effort, like the Mission Impossible movies, which is like what he's pretty much helming nowadays, it's like it's just Tom Cruise. Like, come on, dude, you're 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 good. Just be good, you know. I was wondering if I could get my check a little early this month. No. Also, you're fired. Hi. Who are you? What is this? I'm a detective. A holistic detective. And before you ask, no, I'm not with the CIA anymore. What is going on? The universe will make you a part of this, whether you are complicit or not. You are now a vital part of the investigation. How do you even investigate anything if you don't use any investigative stuff? Interconnectedness, coincidence, and the rarer, sexier coincidence. Have you ever actually solved a case? Sure, tons. Well, some. is connected nothing is also connected so mr toffee i've been enjoying dirt gently quite a bit what have you been catching up on well since you brought up netflix i actually have been watching voltron season 2 and there really isn't much to say except it follows up with this first season and then some like there's a lot of good shit that happens in there like you've got great fighting for one i mean you've seen the first voltron right the first season yeah one. i enjoyed it i yeah. mean it didn't make my top 10 of 2016 but yeah, yeah. i i can totally get why you love it yeah this actually amplifies it further because while the first season actually sets everything up in the ship uh, with the castle and then with the galra chasing them and stuff i mean not really chasing more like planning the moves and sending the robies down the second season basically they're like there's like when the first episode starts, everyone's all split up because of the last fight they had. Um, yeah, spoilers for the first season. <laughs> and yeah, basically, um, Emperor Zarkon can really kick ass by himself. Oh man! Against one me. lion, so you can imagine if he has a bigger weapon and stuff later on. Now, anyway, once it's split up, um, you got Pitch all alone in the satellite area. You've got Princess Allura and Koran stuck in the ship, going through like some space thing aiming going to a black hole with hilarious results because everyone keeps like Koran keeps de-aging and de-aging and stuff getting younger until he gets into a baby and form which is kind of funny and yeah everyone else is split up uh, Keith is split up together with Shiro there's a bit of a foreshadowing that Shiro may or may not disappear and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say what's gonna happen because he keeps telling when I'm gone Keith you might be leader or something you have leader material and stuff so, so in a way, it's sort of kind of like trying to be like the anime back in the day where mm. the Black Lion guy died in the anime and then he took over the Black Lion. Spoilers to a show that existed since the 80s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what I like about this Voltron Season 2 is, yeah, it's actually adhering both the English cartoon 
and the Beast King Go Lion cartoon, like the mm. anime. And then it becomes its own thing while looking really, really animated very well by the studio that did Avatar Legend of Korra. I mean, like, it's a perfect amalgamation, you would say. Like, it borrows from the source material and at the same time, like, does its own thing. Yeah, it does its own thing. And there's really not much to say. I mean, all the characters are cool, but there's actually much bigger focus on Keith because he has a dagger he's been keeping this whole life. It, It apparently turns out to belong to the Golra group. There's actually, like, a rebel group from the Empire and... They're basically secret space ninjas, let's just say that. And he has to find out more about how the hell this knife got into possession and and it just goes on from there, lah. But suffice to say, at least Keith has a much more char- has a bigger character thing going on. And yeah, and because of all that, and Alara also gets involved as well, because turns out that she sees the thing, she sees the whole conflict as a black and white thing, when in fact she does not trust Agora because they didn't they did kill off her entire family and shit, right? So she does not believe that there's no there's a such thing as good Golras or good em- people defecting from the Empire, right? So, that's a bit of like character development. But of course, keep in mind that it's still a kids film, kids show lah. So, so there I'll is fighting. You, there's still some touches of okay. adult f- topics going on, but it's still done in a very PG kind of manner. I mean, like okay. you brought it up, so like you know, it's probably gonna start maturing pretty fast. I mean, are we looking for? Do, do you want? Do you, do you think there's gonna be any Legend of Korra level kind of maturity? In the storytelling and the character maybe development, maybe not. I think they're maybe just maybe not gonna, right. Maybe, but then if they're gonna do what they did in the anime and in the cartoon, but up ten, up it up, up it up a notch, then yeah, sure. I'm actually all for season three. I really like how all these Voltron guys are actually going to different planets. Like you get to see more of this galaxy. I they're mean, there's even a planet the they visited yeah. there where basically um. These tree people, they can actually make mechas out of trees and weapons out of trees and barks and shit. That's pretty yeah, damn cool, that. dude. It's like pretty steampunk, but at the same time, kind of futuristic. Yeah, you know? futuristic it's... fantasy magic shit. Yeah, there is actually magic in this universe. And oh yeah, and for those who kind of wish that Ulura can kick ass, yeah, she does kick ass in this in this time around. Like she puts up her suit, her battle suit, while commanding the Voltron army and you know kicking ass when it's possible, like you know. But I would say like no, I did, I haven't started watching uh, season two of Voltron. Uh, I did watch to the end season one. I mean, I liked it, but at the same time, I felt like mm, no. I mean, maybe, you kind of wanted more, right? That's the thing. I kind of wanted more. I mean, you I are gonna so... get more, dude. Season two will give you more. Okay, I, I can promise you on that, dude. That's a lot of sh- good shit that happens in season two. So heavily recommended. Would this be probably like uh, a good start to 2017? I guess. I guess with, so. You know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, this is yeah. I, I, I like. How do you say? It? There's not much I can say except like if you like the first season of Voltron, the second season will ex. It's just expanded further and then some. Well, let, let me ask you another thing. I mean, like, are you aware of the the fan base for this? Is like are the old school guys still kind of complaining that it's not true to what it's supposed to be? I don't know or... why the hell they're complaining about. It is actually sort of sticking true to it because you still got so the original it's... members per se. I mean, it's got a whole new, new sort of storyline, but there are also callbacks to the old Voltron, which I won't spoil. But let's just say that people who were who really did not get with season one, they're gonna like what they see in season two. Especially think, the fights and a lot of the revelations that happened in the I last four or five episodes. Garnered enough of a following to actually allow a season two. So I think like this show is promising and it's like going in new directions. I mean I kinda like it. I mean to me Voltron, strangely enough, felt like uh, how you say when Gendy Tatakovsky's team, like the Powerpuff people, decided to redo like My Little Pony. Yep. Where like they would kind of 
I'm, I'm not even admitting this yet. Yes, I watched that show. But, you know, like how it's um, kind of a throwback, but at the same time, they're doing something new and something different and something fresh for the like the kids nowadays. Yeah, it's actually because good. The new My Little Pony, the friendship is magic stuff. That's good shit. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first on The Last King Boys and Girls. Yeah. We watched that That's show. That's a quotable right there on the t-shirt. <laughs> MLP, this is good shit. <laughs> anyway, okay. yeah, yeah. All I'm saying, okay, back on top topic. Yes, Voltron Season 2 great reboot great way of like taking the old the two old um, cartoons and combining it together for its new thing like a like a robot cat forming to a robot you know really good stuff really good stuff form feet and legs and I'll yeah. form the head yes there's a lot of callbacks <laughs> to that quote as well and you know like form blazing sword man anime series have actually like a comedy sort of few episodes before they get to the serious stuff Voltron uh-huh. season 2 has that they call this episode Space Mall and it's funny as fuck actually <laughs> It's, it's, you know, okay. cutesy funny, you know? Not like laugh out, insane funny, but you know, really cute. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll definitely check this out once I get the time. Because you know, the thing is, speaking of time, man, I think we spent quite a lot of time preparing for this important segment. Yes, we should go for it. So, without actually burning out the hype, um, we are actually going to talk about all the Oscar films that are nominated to be elected the best film of 2016 by the Academy Award people. <laughs> yeah, by okay, the old it's... white people who watch films. Oh man, yeah, I'll probably bring that up in a while. Okay, so this, so this segment, okay, if you notice this certain episode, zero video game talk, okay? We're gonna save that for the next one. We you know? will have video game references, but not much talk. I know, so I mean, like, but things. I wanna like, this is like gonna be a very special episode for me, especially because the thing is, I wanna get my film fan on because the thing is, I mean, a lot of Last King fans have been mentioning that they like hearing us talk about movies a little, like, a, a lot because it's like they didn't expect that. I think our first few episodes we talked about Batman. Very, we were, we were, we were too movie centric for a while, and then people thought, hey, aren't you guys a video game podcast? And then, like, when we talk about video games, like, oh, can you guys like, kind of talk about movies again? Well, yeah. now, here we are in all this pomp and all its, uh, you know, procession. Yeah, The Oscars so, are rolling around. Just to recap, the movies that are nominated for the Os- for the Academy Awards 2016. All 10 of them, huh, this time? Yep. Uh, we got La La Land, Arrival, Hacksaw Ridge, Fences, Hidden Figures, Hell or High Water, Manchester by the Sea, Lion, and Moonlight. Did mm-hmm. I miss any? I think I got it right. Well, I think we have to say that for an episode where we have to have to kind of bring up like there are other movies should have been, should have been nominated. Oh yes, yes. Before we even go there, okay. This episode, hashtag foreshadowing. Hashtag foreshadowing. <laughs> hashtag travesty. Uh, but like, okay, uh, we want to do this right. We want to do this proper. Yep. We took the time uh, of our busy schedules and our social lives to, to watch all catch this. as much of this as possible. Now I also kind of kind of need to have another disclaimer where. I did not. The only movie I couldn't catch in time was Hello High Water, which you caught, I hope. Yeah, yes, did. I did. Yes, I did. And the other movie that I didn't catch was Manchester by the Sea because I mean I I caught half of it because like the thing is I was watching this really late on like a really late screening and I just couldn't stay awake. It's not that the movie is bad. It's just that I was tired. You know. Like, so it's one of those dramas where it doesn't really pick up like until midway or so. Is it? Oh, but but when it picks up, it picks up. I mean, to me, this is one of the one of the best feel bad movies I've seen in a while. <laughs> feel bad. I mean, it's nowhere near the level of, like Requiem for a Dream or anything like that. Okay, but, okay. I mean, it it comes. I would say like you know the emotional journey that Casey Affleck's character goes through in Manchester by the Sea, and the direction and the pacing. I thought it was very well done. I mean, I think 
I can't really speak so much of it. I mean, I liked it a lot, but because I couldn't finish watching it, I don't want to give my full opinion on it. But I think, how to say, I mean, like, for the movie, like from what I've seen and how it's acted, uh, how it's filmed, and like, you know, just the established shots and the setting and the soundtrack, I thought, I mean, it felt... I, I just need to see the rest of this. Mm. So probably uh, I'm going to not talk that much about Manchester by the Sea or Hell or High Water. Which I think, do you want to start from probably what everybody is kind of touting to be like the musical event of the year? Yes, we should start off with La La Land, everybody's favorite <laughs> musical, despite the fact there are other musical movies that are out like Rent or Les Miserables or Singing in the Rain and so forth. Now, a lot of people say that it's good, great, like it just came out, but I felt that it was more timing, like it came out at the right time, December. Where you know Star Wars also came out as well, so it's the Oscar bait season. Actually, yes, yeah. yes, the Oscar bait season, and you know, I actually felt that it was a bit of an Oscar bait film at first. Then I saw the ending of all this film, and I think that's what made me forgive this movie quite a bit for what it is—like a very glitzy throwback to the whole uh, '40s, '50s style Hollywood movies, except done in contemporary times, where you know it's an aspiring music maker wants to hooks up with an aspiring actress and they go to Hollywood together and music stuff happens in between. I, I know I'm simplifying things. With her. But if I recall, like, they didn't really get along at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. Was a that was, you know, that's how couple they fight, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that to me was probably one of the other, like, you know, checklist, like, throwback things. Like, oh, we're gonna have a kind of a screwball comedy kind of moment at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, okay, now, I'll probably have to chime in a little bit here. Yes, yes, I please do, please do. I didn't like this movie. Oh <laughs> man! All right. I, I, I didn't so you, hate you it. Think it's I didn't love it. I think this movie is extremely overrated. I mean, and I also made the mistake of coming to watch La La Land with the hype attached because everybody was telling me, or e- everything I was reading was like, "Oh, this is probably one of the best musicals ever made," and that's the worst thing to do to, uh, like, you know, to a musical because then, okay, if you say ever made, you're going up against legendary movies. I mean, you mentioned Singing in the Rain. I'm also gonna mention Anchors Away. I'm even gonna mention Grease. You know, oh my god, yes, throw, yes. Nothing might, beats Greece. Nothing. <laughs> nothing beats, beats Greece. Not even high school musical and it goddamn did it try. <laughs> no, but Dude, even Greece 2 couldn't beat Greece, okay? <laughs> and I liked a few of the songs to be honest in Greece 2. But anyway, oh. back to uh, anyway, so yeah, what was it that irked you about La La Land? Okay, the first thing that irked me, and this happened from the get-go, from the very beginning, was how it made a few I would say very weird technical decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things that kind of like uh, distracted me from enjoying the experience was basically the lighting, the camera work, the framing. Some of the composition felt really strange because like I would use like the opening sequence as uh, probably like you know the kickoff point. It's like the one thing that bothered me about the entire sequence was that it was shot with natural light or maybe the intention was to have it shot with natural light. Because for a lot of that whole opening extravagant kind of big, like, you know, here's the big number. You mean, you mean the first number or are we talking about, like, uh, which number? The very we first about? thing on the expressway. Ah, yes, you know, yes. When they're setting up the world. Okay. Why were they shooting with their backs to the sun? <laughs> it kind of bothered me that the shadows and, like, the way it was lit looked so strange. Like, there was all these hard cast shadows going across the faces of the people who are dancing in front of us and especially those who are singing and like 
it felt like uh did you not have time did you not have the budget i thought this was gonna be like some mega blockbuster so you gotta have some mega bucks kind of like you know laying the foundation for this whole scene okay so, like, well that, that was, was what bothered you a lot. that was seriously bothering me because i was thinking like uh okay maybe like there was this moment where like remember when they opened up the back of this truck and then there were these guys like playing bongos or drums yes yes and then i could see like sweat on the the uh the dancers in front as they were cheering on and then in my mind i'm immediately like thinking okay this is probably the fifth or the seventh or the tenth date like you could see they looked kind of it was that fake smile I'm really tired but I need to show people that I'm enjoying this so like that kind of like had me start off on the wrong foot okay. then the movie actually started then the couples are introduced and then because of that I started to notice details and I started notice, noticing things and then like the, the thing is right my problem with La La Land and why it isn't like great at all is because if you want to compare it to what exists before, and I know it's unfair, but you have to. Mm. If especially when you say best picture, and if it's people musical, say best, yeah, I'm gonna bring up Greece. You're gonna bring up. Bank I'm gonna away, fucking right? bring up fucking singing in the rain. God damn, you know, like even Greece, even fucking like um, even like Bjork's music video for it's also quiet. You know, that's how you frame and set up a big dance number, mm-hmm. and like even that scene where uh, what's her name Emma Stone was in her. A house with her three roommates. Oh yeah, the part where they're in the room and then they break out. The, and they yeah, got the cuts where, coming they break in. in. They break into song and they talk about how oh we need to go out tonight. We're gonna have some fun. And it's shot in, in with corridors. You know, it was like a camera going through a house and like the framing was really off for me because you couldn't see the full range of motion. So I don't know when I was fixated on whoever's at the center and Emma Stone. That was actually all right for me. I mean, maybe I didn't actually because uh, dude, I've only watched this like for the. Like, just twice, mm. basically, so... I, again, I couldn't... Okay, maybe when you pick it up together, detail by detail, yes, but... Yeah, but... I don't know, maybe I'm, I look I'm, at it from a bigger picture standpoint, so I just, like, I, I actually buy the relationship between the two, lah. If I want oh, to interject... I, I don't buy the chemistry at all between these two characters. I mean, one of my... Like, besides the technical problems... I mean, I, I don't even want to say problems, because some of this felt like choices. Like, they really wanted it to be shot or framed this way. Like, at the end of that scene where the four girls actually leave the house and they're walking on the driveway on the road, it's, like, it's a very strange composition where they're all in, like, the, the bottom left corner, and the, it's the streetlights that's illuminating the whole thing. There's, like, this huge, like, splash of dark negative space. So it's, like, for a musical, things need to be kind of centered and framed and staged in a way where... Your, the audience doesn't need to like they don't need to look around too much mm-hmm. you know, and that felt very jarring I mean and not just that like even the scene in the jazz club when like I would say um, we're, we're kind of like uh, there's like a bit of a number with like you know Ryan Gosling going off on the piano mm-hmm. yep yep you know there's a lot of unnecessary use of darkness and there's a lot of unnecessary there's there's a there's a very strange lighting program that's going on i don't know was it was it meant to actually do that to actually just show contrast i mean to show that ryan gosling like the spotlight Probably. on ryan gosling i mean like that's, that's the thing it, it like you no know, to me it felt like a mistake and in some parts it felt like a choice it's like they wanted it to be framed this way or they wanted him to be in silhouette or they wanted like you know the attention to be drawn here like away from the center of the screen towards the Mm-hmm. I mean, but I digress. I mean, that's just one of the things that kind of bothered me. And I mean, another thing that really bothered me was, I would say the most essential thing for any musical is that your lead had to beat the, tri- the triple threat. You Which gotta is, have, yeah. Like I mean, like I said, it's super unfair to compare to this. Like I, I, like I'm gonna compare you to Gene Kelly because if you're gonna do a musical, 
it the, the standard was set 50 years ago you gotta beat that especially with the modern budget especially with what is available now i mean even if you want to use cg whatever or you want to do i mean like even the weird wire work sequence in the the observatory i mean like, uh, i would say like ryan gosling he like out of the three the song dance and the acting mm-hmm. it's like he got an a for the acting like yeah he's he's he's, he's ryan gosling he's, yeah he's, he's the man what yeah. he does. for dancing B, like he only had one proper tap dance sequence, which was really unimpressive. Actually, yeah, that was the car park, car park yeah, scene. Yeah, and yeah. that that car park scene was supposed to represent like here's two obviously different people, but they are kind of connecting with this tap dance. The tap dance was to like the, be the metaphor of them kind of falling in love. Mm-hmm. You know, at the same time, it felt like it, yeah, it didn't look impressive enough. You know, I mean, that's one of the problems I have with La La Land. The set pieces like. I don't, I don't want to say it's my high expectations, but at the same time, I want to say like, oh, yeah, okay, it looks good, it looks fine, but you could have kind of pushed it a bit more. And at the same time, um, his singing, I didn't like Ryan Gosling's singing at all. I mean, he, he had this very weird kind of cadence where, like, I know he's supposed to be some sort of pretentious, snarky jazz enthusiast, right? So he has to be a little bit, you know, low key, like, right? Like very yeah, a little bit rough. Like you know, yeah, he's rough. the kind of guy who like. But the thing is, like when he sings, it's his voice, and it like it kind of like flows really nicely. And then Emma Stone, from her vocal, her her, her singing voice and her acting voice, are two totally different things. Which kind of like, you know, is another thing where it just kind of it's not jarring, but you you know I I'll notice things like this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the thing is, there probably one of the, the problems I have is like, is like. There are moments where it felt like, okay, this is a pretty okay musical. And then there are moments where you could have done a musical number here, but instead you decided to fill it up with acting or emotion or scenery. Like, okay, case in point, um, actually two cases in point, I would say this. When uh, Ryan Gosling was uh, trying to, that whole scene where he's trying to like uh, explain jazz to the Emma Stone character. That could have been the music thing, yeah. Exactly, like, yes. it's like he he brought her to the jazz club, and instead of like, what he did was he was like pointing to the trumpet player, to the saxophone player, to the piano player, and they're like, look at these three guys. They are like competing. It's chaos, but it's controlled. And it's like, why are you explaining it? Fucking sing about it, you know? <laughs> You're a musical, damn it. <laughs> yeah, this is a musical. Don't talk about things like this. Like this is a perfect opportunity for you to be like, look at this trombone player look at him play those notes and like you know, okay there look you go. at the it's keyboard like, guy he's swinging those tunes like his and fingers like, ba-dum, ba-dum, like, yeah exactly yeah. you know then he jumps on stage and then he's in the band and then like then like you know you the can second see, part yeah the second part yeah like you, you see like look at this guy his love for jazz like explode into a big musical number but instead at the end of that scene i felt like man he's an asshole like okay some people don't like jazz relax you know <laughs> and then like another scene that like um like, there's this one section in La La Land where it forgot it was a musical for a while mm-hmm. which was the scene where like um, Emma Stone's character I mean what's it Mia she was complaining to the Ryan Gosling character like oh you should not give up your dream you know I mean the band is like temporary aren't you supposed to oh the table scene club? yes the table scene that was the perfect opportunity for a dual duet where you sing your emotion, you sing your emotion like I cannot be uh, opening a jazz bar because I'm making so much money on the road, and then she will come in and chime in like, but your biggest dream is to be. A You're straight jazz away from your path, problem. Yeah, yeah. and then like okay, like, like there, there isn't 
that moment where you have the duet duel, the boy and the the boy character and the girl character go at it and then they just raise it to another level. You I mean, actually like, brought up a really good point. Yeah, like two key areas that could have actually been done as a musical. A lot, yeah. actually. I mean, <laughs> I, I want to rewatch this movie, and the thing is, it it's it's. I really wanted to like it. That's the problem, and I came out kind of like I don't know if it was the 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 hype that you no know, no that was attached to it, or the fact that everybody's telling me that oh you will love it is great. And like okay fine, you know, well blow me I, away. <laughs> well that's the thing. I mean I agree with those points, but you're not gonna change my mind about me like not me hating it. I thought the chemistry was great. I thought the set pieces were pretty alright. I mean, again, I can't argue with the lighting thing. I mean, I'm not that experienced, but <laughs> it's good focus. It's good focus. And I like the set pieces, the planetarium scene especially. That was good oh, for me. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. There's a lot you want to... Comp- I know, I know. But I for mean, me... I, I will just say the planetarium scene is like the perfect example of Chekhov's gun. Ah, <laughs> oh, you know, right, that right. That trope okay. where basically like, hey, let's go watch Rebel Will across at the Rialto. And then they play the scene and then they reenact the scene yes. because like the audience is too dumb or not like you know they don't know what rebel without the cause is yeah, okay, maybe yeah. some of them but I mean like, it, is, it is a musical for millenniums when you think you know, about like, it that's a, that's a whole section that's like that's two minutes you could just cut out and like hey let's just do this scene and you know the, the film fans or the musical fans or fans of the golden era scene will be like hey that's that rebel without the cause planetary yeah, yeah. you know like, no on. the way I see it the planetary scene was basically like okay we're gonna need that one part where you know show don't tell kind of moment and the fly of fancy fly of fancy no words mm-hmm. just let the music oh, run through are you talking about the how you say the dancing in mid-air thing yeah the wire dancer yes eh, it's okay but I mean it's, it's like, not, I mean you, those movies do need to have their quiet time let the dancing explain everything per se because you don't want to have too much talking in a musical for crying out loud, right? Dude, the, the quiet time was when Emma Stone decided to give up on her dream and run back home. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Okay, why is this happening? You know, And why isn't she singing about how I give up, I should have tried, but I failed. La, la, la. la. And then Ryan Gosling, no, you can You're perfect. You're the best actress ever. Hey, that, that, that car honking bit, that was a pretty good running joke. I gotta admit. It's a nice running joke, but the thing is, if you remember that and you don't remember the songs... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. A, I only remember the song that she sang for audition. I think that's pretty bad when you only remember one song out of the musical. Yes, that's my point. You yeah. know, you remember four songs from Greece. Yes. In fact, I'm pretty sure you would definitely remember uh, from like Singing in the Rain, the title song. Dude, I remember like... songs from Greece too, and that's an inferior sequel <laughs> when you think about it. But then, props to Michelle Pfeiffer for trying. Yes. Hey, it's I like it. It's my guilty pleasure, dude. I really like that. Despite everyone I mean, else hating it. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I think I need to probably rewatch La La Land. I mean, I don't love it. And the thing is, I can find reasons not to love it. Yeah. So, it's like, for me, the challenge is like, okay, maybe there's something I'm not seeing. Or maybe I'm being too harsh or too, like, I would say... Uh, I don't I'm nitpicky but at the same time. No, I don't know, dude, I'm, dude, these are valid points considering yeah. other musicals exist. Exactly, I, I, mean, I mean, that's my problem. Yeah, <laughs> And for me, I know other musicals exist. It's not going to beat Grease. Nothing's going to beat that. But well, I still like it for what, it, for what me, it is. La. I'm more of a popcorn fluff. I mean, I think of La La Land as that popcorn fluff film. And yeah, yeah I like that, it. Should, yeah. should popcorn fluff get best picture? Yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> well, I mean? thank, well, I'm not on the Oscars judging all that shit. So that, I don't... I, otherwise, Deadpool would be inside. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the Dark Knight should have won an Oscar. Here's to the mess we make. She told me.
sadness is key to give us new colors to see Yes. For now. We should go to Arrival next. Oh, yes. What do you think of that? Uh, Not I... the best sci-fi film you've seen, right? Nah, I mean, okay, here's, here's another problem I have with Arrival. It's like it's probably the same problem I have with La La Land. Because La La Land will be compared to what came before it. So when I came into Arrival, and like the synopsis I got was like, you know, oh, Amy Adams is trying to find a way to communicate with aliens, and that's like probably like the outer shell to an even bigger story. Mm-hmm. And then I discovered that the bigger story is not really that big. It's just basically, I mean, it's a beautiful movie about linguistics and communication, and about how the you know how language defines. Uh, like the the best part for me about Arrival was how aliens arrive on Earth. I mean, and the thing is. The human race needs to try and decipher what the what the messages they're trying to bring to us. What their purpose is there? In the what first is place. their purpose here? And the thing is, the purpose is they are here to help us. Okay, I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna spoil too much because the thing is, watching this movie, I mean, a lot of my friends who watched it with me were a bit confused with how things were going, but I kind of felt like um, the only problem I have with this movie is the ending. Ah, uh, okay, okay. It felt kind of I wouldn't say anticlimactic, but it felt kind of it. it very jarring or like it was like it came to a screeching halt because like a key point in the end of Arrival I don't want to spoil anything okay but basically Amy Adams character how she revol- resolves conflict with China is probably one of the most like it's supposed to be profound but I found it slightly ridiculous okay. I, I don't want to say much but like I mean it's very hard to discuss this movie because a lot of the key plot points or the things that will like you know make or break this movie it's like essential to the story. Okay, but, but I, I can say, sum it up for you. Is the journey worth it for the destination? Is the journey better than the destination? I would say it's like a roller coaster with one really epic loop and then like three small little loops. It's like, uh, there was this moment that I liked and then like the rest of it, like, okay, it feels in comparison to its own. Best like, review ever. Yes. <laughs> you know what I say? But like, I would say this, like, that, I mean, the problem I have with Arrival is the fact that, I mean, you want to stack it up against movies like Contact or like even an essential movie about communicating with aliens like Spielberg's th- like Close Encounters Close Encounters yes you know like like that felt grand epic and big but and I know like you know Denis Villeneuve is like probably not aiming for grand epic and big but then again he did Sicario which I thought was like this is a pretty big movie good job and he's kind of touted to do he's, he's doing the next Blade Runner wait he is? oh yeah. I'm also, is he doing? He's doing the next Blade Runner. Or is oh he doing my Doom? God! Is he? Oh, okay. I so, Blade Runner same, is untouchable. Okay. Anyway, I don't want to go too much into so, that. I mean, like, I mean, I think as a director, he, he does a fine job. Maybe it could be the screenplay or the script that I'm having problems with. Perhaps. Because perhaps. Is the story that kind of like you know falls on falls under its own weight? At the same time, um, I would say 
like yeah it, it pales in comparison to movies that are similar theme that came before it but the plot twist and like how like a- Amy Adams character that, that moment of clarity mm-hmm. where she realizes that you know what the aliens is trying to explain to her and like how she is the key to how everything unfolds and unlocks okay. and the emotional moments that like kind of uh, come with that I mean I, I felt good it was very well done it's a good job but not like great I mean but I do have one question like, though I do have one question oh, what is, is this enough is this, no no no, no. Uh, Amy, <laughs> is, is this enough to redeem Amy Adams from her role as Lewis Lane <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious, dude. This <laughs> it. She can act. Okay. She can act. You know, she, she, I teared up a little bit. Is this enough to redeem her from Julia and Julia? <laughs> was she in Julia and Julia? <laughs> yeah, she was a blogger in, the, in that show, right? Wasn't she? Oh man, I don't remember. What, oh, did I see Julia and Julia? No, I don't think I saw Julia and Julia. Please don't. Okay. Anyway, go on. What, uh, too much Meryl Street for you? <laughs> uh, no, no, there's too much Amy Adams, like pre Louis Lane. <laughs> No, but okay, I would say this like La La Land to me was a very like it's like like a like a strong C. Arrival is a very good. It's a very very strong D. So um, alright. I mean, I would definitely recommend you ch- check it out because Dennis Villeneuve, Villeneuve. I mean, he is a very unique voice for our time. Like, I think he's one of the more interesting directors that have come out. Yeah. So I would definitely. I mean, I would, if you had to watch one of his movies, watch Sicario. Okay, okay. Sakara is good. Sakara is good. It was a badass yeah. movie. Yeah, but I don't know him touching Blade Runner. I have a lot of. I mean, I hype. could be wrong, but I, I'm pretty sure it's in the pipeline. He's either doing the next Blade Runner or the next Dune. Okay, okay, Dune would actually be pretty cool under him. Dude, after what David Lynch did, you know. But then again, nothing would be as great as Jodorowsky's Dune. Uh, yes. <laughs> if that ever was an idea. Uh, huh. Sting was no, the prince, right, from Harkonnen side. Oh, man. Okay, but okay. Tell you what. Speaking of grandiose and giant and Australian, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about the next one. How about we talk about Hex or Richmond? Oh yes, that's Directed a bloody good time of a film. Hell well, Gibson the second himself. half was a bloody good time. I'll tell you that. Jeez, I haven't seen gore this insane since <laughs> fucking Saw, dude. I don't know. This is... Are you sure? I thought the gore, the gore was pretty normal. I mean, no, no, no. dude, the guts and the seppukus and the. Uh, Grenades and shit that are being thrown and burning people. Oh my god. That got you? I mean, no, like, no, no. I mean, dude, sense? at least for this year, at least for 2016. I Was there any other gory films in, for that year? Bone Tomahawk, maybe, I think. No, well, Bone was, Tomahawk oh, wait, was 15. Green Inferno. Green Inferno came out 2016, finally. Green Inferno was 2015, I think. Also, I saw it at the end of, the, end of a particular hmm, year. Let me think. There's definitely some movie that has. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't feel that was as visceral compared to. I don't know, Hacksaw Ridge. But then again, there was a whole bombastic, grandiose feel to it. I mean, it I felt f- very Mel Gibson to me. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 This is the part where he just, like, hey, I really nuts. like violence. Yeah, <laughs> goes nuts with it. And I kind of like this film. I mean, Andrew Garfield had a really great performance as the sergeant. I mean, as as like, as the conscious objector. Doss. Yeah, name? Dawson, Dawson, Dawson. Dave Dow. I was gonna say Debbie Dawson. I was like, wait, that's a close name. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. And Dows. Sam Worthington can pretty much act. I'm actually surprised too. Nah, man. I no, disagree. he's good. Dude, dude, he's like as stone faced as he can be as an army guy who doesn't but give a shit about he always Desmond plays Hunter. an army guy, man. Yeah, but at least this one I felt like, okay, he's trying. He's trying, you know. No, 
to me the standout performance was freaking Vince Vaughn like when he appeared and I was like oh, oh my god yes I haven't seen him yeah, I haven't yeah. seen him do dramatic in a while let's see what yeah, he does yeah. and I kind of like Hugo he, Weaving he's actually really good as a dad in I, the first half he was the bomb yes Hugo Weaving acted I mean, Hugo Weaving I've been a fan of him since fucking Priscilla Queen of the Desert yeah, I did not see traces of Agent Smith or even Cloud Atlas characters in him this is like oh he's an embittered Father. Not even as the the elf king. Not really. King, no, right? I didn't. I see a completely <laughs> different kind of redneck kind of guy in this. Nah, and I mean, like to me, Hugo, Hugo Weaving's standout moment was during the flashback sequence when he held the gun to the murder. Yeah. And then Andrew Garfield interfered, and then when he broke into tears, like like so effortlessly, I was like, wow. Yeah. Hugo Weaving, you're you're, you're amazing. Yes. You know, I mean, like, dude, he acted his ass off through a mask in V for Vendetta yes you know he's like you know, and he, he also acted face. he was in Leprechaun outfit in um, yeah Cloud Atlas and he did pretty well in that despite the movie <laughs> and stuff <laughs> no, my Cloud Atlas is a movie I still don't know if I like or not <laughs> I liked it despite the fact it's fucking weird and the way I mean anyway yeah Hacksaw Ridge do you feel that it's overblown as a Mel Gibson film like too much of it or do you feel that it's a bit schizophrenic I remember you I bring mean, this up a bit I mean, like, we did talk about this before we recorded this episode. Like, I have a certain problem with Hacksaw Ridge, and like, I'm not like again, like comparing it to another like World War Two. No, no, this movie was Vietnam War. Okay, but to me, it felt like uh, Stanley Kubrick's Full Metal Jacket, where there's two movies going on at the same like time, like a two-parter in one psych-filled yeah, film. Like yeah, the original one where it's all about him going through basic training, and then like it ends up with a court scene. And it like you know how it just basically it's like so much character set up for this Andrew Garfield character, the conscientious objector, mm-hmm. and like how he like you know, you know it's through because of integrity and like, religion and how you know, he has to stay true to himself because like, how can you marry a maid? I can't even you know <laughs> hold this simple promise to myself. You know, like, Andrew Garfield's like you know Southern accent. Like, eh. It's really good. I kind of like it. I Not buy bad. it. I buy it. You know, yeah. like you know, and the thing is, I know he's British. I mean, I know he's English. So I was like, eh, okay, I mean, it's a lot better than his Peter Parker. That's for sure. Like, <laughs> yes, I mean, we can all agree on that. I mean, here's my problem with Hacksaw Ridge. It's very hammy. It's very cliche. It's I very think this, in certain this is this is more like I know this is based on a war that happened. I mean, this is part of part of the war, World War Two bit that Not happened that, during that this is one of like four other movies that are based on a true story <laughs> which is Oscar bait like yeah. you know, checklist like you, you wanna you wanna get an Oscar nomination make it based on a true story <laughs> I mean I appreciate the happiness to it because I mean I've seen Saving Private Ryan for crying out loud you can't go yes like there you go you know like that's a World War 2 movie yeah. you know and if you wanna see a, a story about somebody like you know trying to overcome the odds like these seven assholes trying to like find this one guy and like Nazis are like coming at them and then like but I did like the fact that the guy he actually did stuck to the whole you know I'm not gonna carry a gun by you know being clever about it in a freaking war field for crying out loud no, where you see a fucking is... battleship shooting god knows how many mortars in like the the, the, the camp the, the area itself the cliff yeah I mean like uh, I, I th- that's the failure with this movie for me where it's like this whole thing is about this one guy who decided not to carry a weapon to be a, a pure pacifist but at the same time, enter this crazy battlefield and he rescued like 70 odd people. Mm-hmm. You know, like, because just through sheer determination and like, you know, like. And being oh, smart. This, like, like, but then at the same time, it's like, you know, in the back of my head, right, there's a lot of moments where I felt like, okay, I know it's based on this true story. Yeah, this could or could not have happened. And 
and I hate it when movies have to justify their scenes where like oh you know that scene where he just kept saying please god let me get one more and then the actual guy appears in the end credit and he's like oh all I did was say that and to me it felt like um, I mean what I don't like about Hexor Ridge it felt like a movie that was like you know just trying to cater to how you say the schmaltziness of it but like like no you have to like this movie because it actually happened and these are true events and like if you don't like this movie then you're not you, you probably don't have a soul you know, so you like, feel so so it feels a bit manipulative in your thoughts it's extremely manipulative I mean like even the musical cues whenever the guy starts talking the fucking orchestra kicks in you know I, I gotta do what I gotta do where's my bible mm-hmm. and it's like oh fuck man <laughs> Okay, I get it. You know. Okay, I mean, I'll like, be I'll be honest. I didn't like the film because of the second act overall. I mean, like yeah, I don't know. I, mean, I know it was it was cool, but I feel that maybe it could have been a bit shorter. It was two hours plus, oh, if I recall. The courtroom scene, the relationship. It's nice that they're building on it, but that could be slightly shorter. I don't know. Maybe that's just how I feel. I mean, like this is how I feel. What they could have done with Hexo Ridge is remove the entire first part of the movie. Just start with them fucking arriving on the beach and like, welcome to Hacksaw Ridge. And then everybody is like, hey, isn't that the guy who doesn't want to carry a gun? Like that whole courtroom melodrama, that, that whole need to establish his character. I mean, it could be yeah, done as flashbacks, to be honest. Yeah. It could have been done as flashbacks. Exactly. Not only that, is like, that is not the basis of this movie. The basis of this movie is not about this guy who had to go through hell and high. Sorry, hell and high water. <laughs> yeah, hell and <laughs> high water. Yes, yes. He had, yes. had to go through all this unnecessary drama so that he, he didn't need to carry a gun to be a medic. <laughs> like that's not the important part. The important part is this asshole saved seventy people. How did he do that? And how dare you squash it into like an hour segment at the end of the film? <laughs> Two hours about how this guy went from person to person. Just like okay, there's a Japanese guy there. I need to like not die at the same time, hide and then find cover and then like you know like figure out a way to get him, drag him back to the edge of like you know the ridge. It's like if the movie was just that, it would have been fucking amazing. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. And then, and like, the every time is okay. It's just again maybe Mel Gibson needs to learn to trim the fat a little bit more. I mean, like if you compare to like Apocalypto or Passion of the Christ, that's all that those movies suffer from really bad editing. Mm. But at the same time. But he knows how to set up, you know, certain things. He knows how to get. He's very. He's, he's what I call a visceral director. He knows how to punch you in the stomach, and yeah, you reel and you feel it. You know, like oh, okay, yeah, there you go. I mean, but the thing is, like at the same at the same time, the way he does it, it especially for Hexor Ridge, it felt very cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like these are cheap shots. You know, like oh, he, he here's the moment where I pull some emotion from him. Like, look at how lovely this man is. He even gave first aid to a Japanese soldier. Oh, isn't he? A, isn't he? A yeah, I think this is more of a war film thing, the, yeah, especially yeah, yeah. the smashy ones. Like, yeah, this is so schmaltzy. Come I think on. that's. Uh, I think that's just how it is for war films for those for those kind of like Oscar season kind of war films. Yeah, and, and I would say, I mean, like, I'm no no offense to Mel Gibson, like, my still my favorite Mad Max, <laughs> still my favorite Riggs, yeah. but at the same time, like, you know, as a director. Like, I liked Apocalypto. I didn't really care much for Passion of the Christ, but like, I, I think even he directed this very this movie back in the nineties. I think the, uh, the man with with the scarred up face. Was it? Okay, I can't remember. Mm, I'm not too sure. No, but uh, at the at the end of the day, something. good film. But yeah, I could have done without this first half, or at yeah, least edit the first half much, a bit more. Way too much padding and unnecessary padding in certain locations for yeah. but I, I get what they're doing I get what he was doing with that just to show more character for him but maybe not too much you know 
We can do our yeah. research in Wikipedia or you know I mean, go like, to it. The, the budget American could have been book. spelled spent elsewhere. That's what I felt most of the time. Perhaps, perhaps. I mean, but okay, I would say not a great film. Oscar worthy. Well, I don't think it'll win Best Picture, but yeah. This is definitely the kind of Oscar. This is the kind of movie that will definitely get an Oscar nomination. I can see why. Yes, yeah. So, like, how about this? Instead of going to the other movie that's based on the true story, let's. How about we do the one where it's based on the stage play? Oh yes, <laughs> yeah. We've got this film going on here. Fences, uh, directed by Denzel by Washington, who's not in the play. Yeah. Mr. Oscars himself. You know, yeah. And Viola it. Davis too, uh, aka Amanda Waller. Okay, trying anyway. to wash off the sins from Suicide Squad by <laughs> doing this. And I must say, they both carry the film very, very well. Dude, yeah. I mean, yeah. like, especially the scenes with Viola Davis, especially... She bursts out with violence, like, oh shit, she's gonna beat the shit out of Tenzel Washington, but no. <laughs> no, I <laughs> you know? mean, like, but the thing is, like, what I love about Viola Davis, especially in this role, is, like, she, her ability to transmit pain and suffering through her eyes. Yeah. You know, and then, like, especially the, the key moment, I mean... I don't know. I think I think it's a spoiler, but then again, this, this, uh, but it's an essential moment where like she discovers the, what Denzel's character did. Yep. And then like how her how she reacted to it, and how she reacted, and then how like just that line, eighteen years I stood yeah. by you. And, like, that, and you can see the tears coming out like all messy and stuff. I like, was outside. like you know like feeling. I felt guilty like I yeah. cheated on her. Yeah. Like, oh, well, I'm yeah. sorry. Oh, spoilers. <laughs> but, but, but 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 on but on the spectrum on the other side, you can actually see Troy. I mean Denzel Washington's character Troy. Like mm-hmm. he starts off happy. He starts off like a happy drunk half kind of drunk guy. But you can see he the jealousy. You can see the rage like seeding through him. You know, mm-hmm. and it all just pays off at the end when you know there's a scene with his son, which I won't say much, but. They don't get along pretty well. Let's just say that. I mean, one one of the, the things I like about this movie. I mean, I was not aware of the stage play, and I I, I know Denzel Washington did the stage play. I mean, he rehearsed the hell out of this movie, and he decided to put it on the big screen. Uh, one thing I would say about the performances is like I I like Denzel. I loved Viola Davis. Uh, I especially loved um, what was the 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 the, 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 the when the son came back when he did the whole. Uh, the, the, when you they're arguing about the football. Yep. Oh, and then he had the helmet. That's the second and then you son, right? Strike no, one. And... The, the first son is the musician. He's the second son, right? Yeah, he's the second son. Yes. Okay, I love that kid. That kid was awesome. Yeah, Corey. Um, Corey. Yes. I mean, like my my only problem with this movie is because it's a stage play. You you could tell that a lot of the dialogue had to like kind of stay intact. Yeah, it's the and it's like, the focus, and then there's the focus on the faces, the focus on how they do everything, and then the set pieces. There are not many, you know. I mean, I'm not just that. I mean, like, okay, like, I would say, like, the first hour, half hour of this movie was very hard to go through because you're literally listening to two old guys talk shit constantly. Like, you know, when I was a young man, I fought death. Like, you did not fight death. Yes, I fought death. I but I was engaged with it, unlike most movies that do the same thing and fail. Oh, man, it was like, a, it was, to me, it felt like it was like, like a holiday at like a relative's house and like look look at the, look at my uncles just talk shit and you're like no be braggadocious and like yeah 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 but that's how <laughs> I mean that's how it is like in most family cases and I felt that yeah this actually feels real in a sense you know this and I actually am invested in what the hell Troy is gonna say and I'm gonna want to see what Bono says to counter whatever the hell he said it's no, entertaining okay. in a sense to set up Strange. the color and everything before it gets to the deeper shit later on. 
I mean, the thing is, the guy who played Bono also kind of reappears in Manchester by the Sea playing the boss of this Oh, you I did know, not I know that. I, <laughs> one thing I realized about watching all these movies is like, oh, these actors find work, and then when they find work, they find work in other Oscar movies. Mm, <laughs> they do, they do. <laughs> but I would say this, like, uh, uh, case in point, yeah, I do get the fact that, like, maybe, yeah, they, they need to stay true to the source material. I mean, granted, when you watch a play, it's literally your ability to not just act but to deliver lines and to deliver at an interesting pace and yeah. I, I love the cadence and I love the flow especially when they, they do the back and forth between Bono and uh, what's Denver's character uh, Troy 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 yeah the thing is when they went back and forth you know like I told you that time I had this dog this blue dog mm-hmm. mm, yeah yeah yep yep I do remember that and like oh okay <laughs> like this, I mean it wasn't draggy but at the same time like it didn't, it didn't feel draggy. I mean, it's slightly longer than your average film, but I think everyone just kept talking in a very interesting and entertaining manner, like even the mannerisms and everything, and I yeah, just got invested into it without actually keeping track of the time, you know? That's that's, yeah, a, that's I, a hallmark of a good dialogue film. I would say that. I mean, like, uh, granted, like, I mean, Denzel did a great job. Yeah, I you would, love him I and would, then you hate him and then you kind of pity him in the he, sense, he, you know? He does take you on a journey. I mean, like, his emotional arc, especially, like, you know, towards the center when, like, plot happens. Yep. And then, like, Viola Davis actually has to start acting. Yeah. And, like, I mean, especially, the, the like, the scenes between him and his son. Yeah, Corey, yeah, like, the son. That, that, that constant rivalry of, like, old lion, young lion, like, butting heads and, like, yeah. how one guy has to stand his ground and one guy needs to kind of you know, uh, how you say, uh, take control of his masculinity. Or yeah, his, yeah. Like, and the fact that Troy actually does not change ish his his point of view in the end, in a sense. Yeah, that's, I love the best. That's yeah. the best part. He's stubborn. Of the story. Yeah. <laughs> and like he he doesn't redeem himself, but then it's the people around him who redeem him. With him. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's what, that's like for me what the strongest thing. Like story wise, I loved it. Mm. You know, I mean, like, but for me, what I felt is like okay. It felt like some parts were, were too much of a stage play. Some parts could have been kind of shaved off, but I, I can see how you need to be a purist about certain things. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, all this dialogue has to be in it, because you know, it's yeah, in yeah. the play. So, like, okay, I get it. I mean, like, I think a lot of complaints is basically like the translation from stage to film. It is, like, it is a very hard art, yes. Adaptations I mean, are very hard to do. I mean, and the thing is, is like, it's a, it's, a, it's a stage play that takes place in one location. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then there's a lot of like, you're locked into like, you know, these scenes where you're in the room with these characters and you just can't leave and they're just going on at it. I mean, especially like that whole scene when his older son comes in during his payday. You know, just, I just want about $10, daddy. <laughs> and it's like, okay, yeah. just fucking give him $10. <laughs> I don't want to hear you guys talk about it anymore. <laughs> like, just, it's $10! <laughs> hey, $10 was a lot back in the day, alright? So... He had $72 in his bank. <laughs> I know, you said it 10 times already. <laughs> but I, th- I would say wonderful feel, a wonderful adaptation. A wonderful I'm a character kid. step. I'm a huge Denzel fan. I mean, I, he, he does the wrong by vehicle. Except for yeah. the Magnificent Seven. Okay. Like <laughs> and probably Book of Eli. What the fuck? Yeah. Thinking, <laughs> anyway, um, there was a movie that you've seen and I have not seen. Oh, hidden no. figures. Oh, <laughs> speaking yeah. of based on real life events yes. and black so people. So, <laughs> what is hidden figures about? It's well, it... in a nutshell, it's about the plight of three black mathematicians slash engineers slash like they're just these three ladies who worked for NASA yeah. back in the day and like how they were key to launching the first man in space. Mm-hmm. 
And if you want to talk about Templaty and Oscar Beatty, oh god. This is I've, a pretty bad one. This, it? to me, I've seen this movie before. The template is strong in this one. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, no offense to the actual women who had to actually go through it back in the day. Yes, based on the true story. Yes, I understand the struggle. But we've seen this movie before. I, that's my only problem with this. You know, like, we've seen the story of the persecuted person who has to overcome all the odds and just through sheer determination and his skill and ability and how it opened up the eyes of all the bigots and all the people with prejudice and, and like, they've done oh. nothing new to change the formula and storytelling I mean, yeah that's the thing like the formula is strong in hidden figures i mean the performances were great okay don't get me wrong i like the actresses okay mm. they were very um charming they were very engaging and like you know speaking of like you know nailing that old south accent or whatever like, yeah i mean i loved it Kevin Costner is in it and Kevin mm. Costner basically plays you know I'm the the force of nature that moves the story along so like I think the problem I have with hidden figures and like I said it may have been based on the true story and these things actually happen but story wise I didn't feel the struggle I didn't feel like you know like the payoff was good enough in a sense where like basically like there's this whole part of the movie where um the, the one who plays the mathematician oh, I can't remember her name she has a very sexy name Tajari or something Tajari Tara G.P. Hansen right? yeah that okay uh, she her character basically because of racism and because of you know uh, colored toilets you know like, yep. I need to run half an hour in high heel shoes across this entire NASA compound just to take a piss over there. That's why you don't see me at my desk, Mr. Kevin Costner. And he's like, okay, from now on, she can pee here. <laughs> I'm like, okay. You know, I, I have, I, why, how can I work with these people? They don't even want to share coffee with me. Okay, no more colored coffee pot. Everybody drinks the same coffee pot. <laughs> uh, okay. And like, you know, like, so like, there is some uh, comedy in the drama, like, in a sense. No, it's not even supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be <laughs> okay. dramatic and heartwarming. And, <laughs> okay. You know, so it's like, supposed to be... Okay. Like, right, right. I'm Talk. not a bigot. You know, I'm not as racist as all these motherfuckers. And the thing is, she's a woman. I'm not only... Uh, not only am I not racist, I'm not sexist. You know, I will allow a woman, a black woman mathematician to do my problems for me. And like, because I'm a man of... Like, he, he's... He, like, Kevin Costner, basically... He's Kevin Costner. Like, uh... uh Oh god I mean Yes Times were hard back then Yes uh, I would understand why A story like this Needed to be told And how Like you know I would say Like the, the What these women had to go through And what they could achieve Despite the odds Was like amazing and great Same time Like Yeah This is like Any other movie of the week Drama Overcoming prejudice I don't know I mean Hidden figures Is Too cliche I just couldn't enjoy it you know like when things were happening when like uh, like when all the, the i say the character development when mm-hmm. like people were opening up to the fact like oh maybe we should never underestimate these people at all like, yeah, of course you're fucking scientists <laughs> yes. you're fucking mathematicians look at her just figure out the, the trajectory of or like this you know, rocket for you like oh who wrote that down you're like oh, it's the black woman oh my god we should have never underestimated her of course you should have never he's a scientist damn it you're uh. a scientist shouldn't you be logical and it's like there's this one moment where like you know she was like kind of like uh how you say it? Like, they were kind of not, not, not say giving her a hard time but she was having trouble adapting or being welcomed 
and then there was this like, one Polish or I, I don't I, I think maybe Polish scientist like slightly elder is like it's okay I escaped uh, Nazi you know I'm a Jew I know what it feels like you know, he has this one moment and he's like okay that's, that's a cheap shot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know you didn't need to bring that up <laughs> you know but then again um, so figures, good actor good actresses just not enough to carry the entire cliche kind of movie I thing. don't think this deserved an Oscar nomination at all this yeah. Like, like if, if you want a movie about black people overcoming, you know, there's a lot of those. Yeah. Seriously. Speaking of which, uh, what do you think of Moonlight? Since we're on that, you wanna go straight to Moonlight? Yeah, let's just go ahead from there. Yeah. Okay, so it's uh, frankly, this is my th- this is the one that should win. Ah, yes. I would say that Moonlight is a beautiful story. I mean, like the performances, especially the, the, the three actors who played the boy in the various stages of his life. Oh my God! Yes, all That's really good. three of those kids, like like the him as a young boy like that scene where he opens up and like okay should we preface this Moonlight story about a young black boy like trying to discover his masculinity his sexuality and basically how he had to overcome his environment his mother his neighbours yeah his his, uh, insecurity and all that yeah and and also his insecurity and how like it's the most one of the most heartbreaking moments of all time was when that boy had to punch him Mm, yeah, yes. and that was that was like his the hazing, the hazing. Oh man! And his yes. first experience at love, and how those two like moments are connected. Yep. And like this movie, when I left, like I was not say in tears, but I was emotionally shaken <laughs> because you and me, especially two nerds growing up, we know how that feels <laughs> to be ostracized, to be prejudiced, oh, to have the man. other kids in school pick on you because you're or just different ignore, yeah yeah you know and he did the he did what we would do yeah we couldn't fight back we walked away you know and then you just had to deal with that pain yeah. like yo and like, he did I, fight back but yeah <laughs> oh man it took me a while to fight back you know my yeah. growth spurt happened quite late no, but i was saying this like the, the most powerful scene and i don't think i'm spoiling anything to me but the moment when the young boy who, who's uh, like kind of He's taken in the, the, the drug dealer as like a surrogate father or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cottonmouth from uh, The Fridge. <laughs> it's very, and I can't see Cottonmouth. I see the actor. He's yeah, that yeah. good. Ma- Ma- Mahershala Aliyah, that guy. Yes. 
No, that that moment the young boy just looks at him square in the eye and like the pain in his face and he asks him very honestly, "What's a faggot?" Like, oh god. Yeah. I, I like that that scene tore me up. I was like, okay. I mean, and the thing is, right, compared to all the other movies, that wasn't ham fisted. That wasn't pandering. That wasn't chokeish. It just came out like that, like naturally. Like it, was, it wasn't. Yeah. And wow. It's like I I would say this like, the one thing that like kind of took me off guard about the movie was how vibrant and how creative the camera movement was and how it flowed perfectly with the emotions and the scenes of the actors. Yeah. Like one of my favorite standout moments was when it had this very it is very very strong like Wong Kar Wai kind of vibe. Uh, like, you in, like the beach, the beach part, or like no, the one no, where? Did you did you ever see this movie, Chunking Express? I think so. Yeah, yeah. Like this very choppy kind of camera flow movement that just kept. Like remember when the bully was like scoping out like the playground scene and the camera was just flying all over the place. Like, yeah, yeah. Like to me, that was brilliant. Like I like the the how it conveys the the madness and the 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 chaos of like you know just people like slamming into each other and just how like as human beings even as, as young human beings like the raw emotion of like he this guy's just an asshole this guy is just you know he's just vulnerable and like you know the, the damage that is done you know just through all these actions like moonlight to me like no, i mean okay sing street is still my favorite movie of the film yeah yeah but but at <laughs> the same time the, 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 this the, is the, my this is gonna be my number two favorite the direction movie. and the photography everything it's just beautiful everything honestly. yeah very yeah, masterfully yeah. done. Just from and the like, bright side, like, from the first phase of the boy's life, the second part where it's at the moonlight beach bit, and then the third no, part, man. it's also moonlight, and it's happy. It happens at night, you know that bit. And where, I love how it's resolved, and I yeah. like that. The fact I really that, like it. Know, yes, my God, that's how things are done usually. I guess. I mean, like, if you want to say like best picture to me, this should win. I mean, moonlight. I guess. Wow, it's it's, it's very rare for me. To fall in love with the movie I mean it's been a while yeah. and I, I I am truly enamored by the, like you know director Barry Jenkins amazing job really on. good stuff yeah I love this movie you know like it, it, as a man who used to be a boy and had to go through shitty times as a teenager you know I mean it affected me I don't know about you did it affect me yes it, affect you? it did yeah we know this pain and yeah. he conveys that pain and I love the choice of using classical music to and a juxtapose against the hip hop. Yes, yes. Especially okay. when it gets really emotional, like you know, like seriously. Yeah, yeah. The music film. works really well with the mood. This honestly, is a film like you know yeah, his yeah. ability to capture the mood. I mean, yeah. Props, props. Well done. Moonlight, I wonder yes. what the boy was told to actually, you know, display moments of anger, sadness, all in one. You know. I like, don't know. I mean, like child actors are hard to work with. I mean, yes. even the teenage version of him. You know that scene where yeah. like he and his he had to confront his mama and then like she's like asking for money to buy. Drugs. Yeah, it's so and fucked up, dude. I, I've seen I've seen friends who had to go through that. I know exactly how that feels. And the way like that young guy, like you know, his how he shows his frustration. Oh, fantastic yeah. movie! I love this. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, I gush too much on Moonlight. Yeah, yeah. I kind of want to win. talk about another <laughs> film that I've watched, but I, I'm not sure you didn't get to watch. Now, how do you feel about Westerns being nominated for an Oscar? Do you feel that they rightly deserve their place or not? Dude, in a I'm sense, a big unforgiving guy. 
Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if this is gonna match up with Unforgiven, but Hell or High Water is a pretty damn good Western film. This is the one that I missed out on, so yes, you yeah. have to carry this for me, sir. Yeah, no problem, no problem. So basically, it's about a pair of bro- a, a brotherly pair who are robbing banks to pay off a to pay off like a a mortgage to so that they can actually solve it to get to get back their mother's place. Otherwise, it gets sold off to the government and stuff. So they're actually robbing the banks who are under this Texas Midland Bank thing, which is actually a bigger plot that they're trying to go through in the future. Mm. I'm not going to spoil that. In the meantime, Jeff Bridges, as a sheriff, is chasing them down, trying to find leads together with his Mexican partner, the guy who plays the Mexican partner to the guy in Breaking Bad, the the cop. I don't know what the actor's name is, but yeah, you see his face. Yeah, yeah. But Apologies to all you Last King fans who were like, yeah, we don't know everything. <laughs> yeah, okay. So clearly, the standout actors are Jeff Bridges, of course, who brings it home, definitely. But then Does again, he, play he has Jeff played, Bridges? He's played the dude, he's played a sheriff number of times. So this is just him being him, lah, per se. But, but like, it's okay. entertaining to see him carry the movie together with Chris Pine and Ben Foster as the crooks. Kirk himself. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Captain, Captain Kirk. Kirk. Dude, this is okay. Chris Pine's redeemed himself from his role as being a shitty Captain Kirk. What? Anyway, <laughs> that's another fight for another day. And Ben Foster, you've seen him as a kid actor in even I forgot even Stevens or whatever the fuck that show was. Um, the name sounds familiar, but I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. He was he was Archangel in the X Men Three film. Mm. Yeah. So he's the crazy brother. Uh, Chris Pine is the What's that? The guy who's level-headed, but he'll be violent when he needs to. So what I actually bought in the movie was basically their com- their chemistry within each other and all that. So like, like Tarantino and Clooney in Dusty Bros. In a way, yeah. <laughs> in a way, yes. Except, you know, um, I don't want to I don't want to say too much, but it's really good. Like just the way they interact with each other. They go to the the casino itself. You know who's gonna actually end up gambling the money away or who's gonna end up being a fucktard and all that. But at the same time, you know the level-headed uh, Chris Pine character? He goes in, just sorts shit out and just the camaraderie and the brotherly love between the two is not too hammy. That's, that's that's what I like about it. It's just played off really cool in a sense. And uh, the fact that, you know, the he's gonna stand up to the brother no matter how fucking crazy he is, he's just gonna do it like, in a sense. That's what that's what actually was there in a sense. It, there. It's a western, but at the same time, they actually brought more character, more than the gunfights. And I felt the actual uh, robbing scenes and the climactic fight at the end, that was actually, I won't say it's big or grand, but I'd say it's visceral enough to actually warrant, you know, watching it twice. Just the way how all those things that Jeff Bridges got, his information he got from the townsfolk, actually culminates to a, like, a really, really way of how he solves the problem against two brothers. And at the same time, you and then at the same time, you kind of want to root for the brothers to get the hell away and get and pay off the mortgage and stuff. No, but okay, you did mention that this is what you would call a mod, a western set and a modern setting. Yeah. So immediately, like you know, just listening to the description, right? Like, but the thing is, like I said, to compare what what I what I can recall, like to me, one of my favorite western set and a modern setting would be like No Country for Old Men. But yeah, yeah. Or even their throwback, uh, uh, actual western True Grit starring Jeff Bridges. Mm-hmm. You know, when he played the bounty hunter who was hired by the young girl to like, you know, commit murder. But like, how is Jeff Bridges in this? Like, I'm a bit worried about it. Because <laughs> like, he, he, is he still doing that accent? Is he still talking like... He, he, he kind of is, but you can actually mouth. listen to what the hell he's saying. Oh, really? Actually, he's, yeah. He's starting to loosen so up a bit. It's not too slurry. 
but like, you, you feel that hearing him in RIPD. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, I feel that yes, he does his job, great job, Jeff Bridges. But at the same time, yeah, yeah you've seen his character, sheriff character, a number of times already. Mm. So mm. it works well here, but I'm just glad that Chris Pine and Ben Foster carries it. Because again, that's the reason why you want to watch these Western kind of films. You want to see whether they, these outlaws actually get the hell away from. It or they actually die or not in this movie. But, okay, let me ask you again. Uh, is there any action? It's like how's the how's the gunfights? Can't be a western without some. There aren't that fights. many gunfights, but they actually work okay. pretty well. I'm not saying they're illogical and all that, but they're it works Django pretty well. The silly, right? <laughs> nah. I mean, you know, like how the close-ups for the guns are in Hacksaw Ridge. Nothing over the top like that. It's more like oh. you got the shot, you got different cuts, and you know that some people are gonna die from there. Anywhere near the level of open range? I don't think so. Uh, no, no, not open range level. No, but it's more like character driven in a sense. So, I don't know what what's about the film that actually drove me to watch it. Maybe it's just the chemistry that works really well for me for this. Wait, does it have, like, who directed this? Uh, David McKenzie. I can't remember David McKenzie. Uh, honestly, I don't know what he did. But the thing is, like, it was very surprising. Like, this is the movie that kind of came and went here in Singapore. It's like, I. I don't think people are that big Western fans in Singapore. I heard, though. I, oh, you'd be surprised, man. A lot of people I know went to watch Django. <laughs> but not, yeah, nobody went to watch Magnificent Seven, apparently. Why? Because yeah. you shouldn't remake that movie. <laughs> it was already a remake. Okay, but I digress. Like, uh, dude, no, no Country for Old Men actually did good in the movie. Oh, yeah. Shit, and I didn't know that. That to me is like the pinnacle in the, in the modern Western genre. Yeah, I'm talking more like that. You know, like how is character driven with um the guy who was the Bond villain, the guy with the air pump, and how Tommy Lee Jones' him? character. Mm, yeah, and, and even Josh Brolin. Yeah, Josh Brolin. Thank Thanos you. himself. Yes, yeah, Josh Brolin. <laughs> yes, they all work very well. And I mean, the action scenes, you know how visceral they can get, like realistic. But mm. you know the character talking bits are actually more important than the action bits. So that's uh, that's my vibe with Hell, and Hell or High Water. But like, what what about the story? Is there any chinks in the armor? Like, was it? I mean, is it one of those really slow paced kind of movie where it's like literally the atmosphere and the setting kind of like takes center stage, where it's about people... it does, it does, yes. The 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 center stage that the atmosphere itself takes center stage, but it's not dragged out. That's the thing. Everything mm. went by at an acceptable, great pace. Like you can't buy that. Like oh, I'm gonna go over the us to this bank and see what I can do, and then. Chris Pine's character waits while he's waiting. A waitress is trying to hit her, hit on him, but he's like, nah, you know, because he he's got a ex thing going on, lah, basically. I see. And Ben Foster, so, he's just robbing the bank on the other side, and he's like, hey, move, move, hurry, hurry up, hurry the hell up. So and basically, he's the catalyst. Of the, yeah, he's the, he's always the, the catalyst. Spark plug that just lights up the scenes. Yes. Yeah, I mean, anytime Chris Pine could have just ditched his brother, but he does not, because he knows what is at stake, lah, basically, the whole you know, mortgage and everything. <laughs> yeah. But, but then again, that's what I like about it. Like, you know these guys could turn on each other, but you don't see that when they're, like, interact with, when they're together, when they're robbing banks, and Ben Foster's off fucking some other woman, and he's just on the bed next to him, just, like, trying to sleep and all that. It's pretty funny. We've all been there, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, so, what do you think? Worthy of nomination, worthy of win? It's worthy to watch, but... I don't know. It's not. It's not an unforgiven, but I can see why it's being. It's there. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, like, it, it's it's a stopgap movie. It has to fill in the space. Well, I guess for me, yeah, I'll nominate this film. I'll probably it's either this or Moonlight or the next movie we're gonna talk about. Okay. Which is. Lion. <laughs> I'm gonna go straight to Lion. Then, um, okay. 
But, I mean, we've already but, said that Manchester by the Sea, you sort of talked about it earlier on, so... I mean, I kind of saw half of it. You didn't manage to catch it, right? Nah, unfortunately, no. But we did I mean, see like, Lion, so that's so our last like, movie for the pick. Okay, to, okay, sorry to Last King fans. We can't see all 10 of these, you know, but if Manchester by the Sea wins because the ending is fucking amazing, sorry. <laughs> okay, but let's talk about Lion, okay? Yeah. It's beautiful, I'll tell you that. India has never looked very depressing and pretty at the same time. You, you know, Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. Fine, fine. Speaking of Slumdog Millionaire. Slumdog, no, but... That's been a while, right? I want to talk about movies that came out like last year that, you know, that are pretty worth talking about in a sense. So, I mean, I enjoyed Lion thoroughly. I thought it was a very, I wouldn't say emotional story, but it was a journey. Like, it was one of those few movies. Like, a standout scene for me is just like, when you see how scary things can get for a young boy who's lost in the city. Yeah, yeah. And then like, with that scene when all these like random men just started stealing Kidnapping children. Oh my god, that's so insane. I mean, it's unfortunately a sad thing that happens in India, but damn, this yeah, scene... Which they'll it, remind which us one? later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, and like, remember that, to me, this, the, the guy who played the little, uh, Saru? Saru? Uh, Saru, Saru, yeah. Saru, who, who that, that young kid, is like, Good job, I wow, I I bought it. It's like moments of it, like I know you know how when you watch a movie and you forget it's a movie. It's mm. like you're watching a documentary. Like this is actually happening. Yeah. And like the thing is, like kid actors can make or break a film. Yeah. This kid, like wow, like the he's given version, direction, really good yeah. direction, dude. I mean, like and especially like the relationship he has with his older brother. Mm-hmm. And like you know, just the scenes of them like playing on the train tracks or yeah. stealing coal. And then and the like, flashbacks that come in like halfway in the movie. That's oh god, wow, yeah. that's insane, dude. But I mean, like Moonlight broke my heart, but like uh, I would definitely say Line is also the other movie that kind of like you know hit me right in the gut, especially yeah. when it, like especially the way it resolves itself. I mean, like and it's a big movie now. Like something like Hacksaw Ridge, which is literally two movies like kind of like squashed together and kind of overblown for its own good you know, and like, it feels very unbalanced whereas yeah. this right is literally it does, you don't think that it's like three segments in a boy's life like Moonlight did it too yeah yeah you know? it's like from young to his, his grown up era and Lion and it, is also the same thing like you're a young kid yeah. to old kid like, Death Patel it, yeah. it's very str- that, that's my only problem with what with him? Patel. why? <laughs> bro he's a good looking kid the last Oh, should we spoil it? Like you know the scene. What you mean he... because he was in the last Avengers? <laughs> no, when he returns oh. to Calcutta and he's surrounded by other people. No, when he returns to what was it called? Uh, uh back to that village, the Ga- Genghis Tali or something. Right? Genghis Tali, uh, yes. When he went, went back to uh, like you know, Ganesh Ganesh Tali. Yep. And then like you see like the villagers all gathering. And then you see him, and he sticks out like a sultan because he's like like a Hollywood face. <laughs> And like yeah, ah, I, okay. I know it's it's a it's a nitpick, but it's like yeah, you. I, I actually see it. How did you brought it up? Holy you shit! Know, you, know, you, you know, like some uh, Hollywood actor coming to visit this impoverished country for some reason. Yeah. But then, like props to him, like scenes of him crying with his mom and his Nicole Kidman mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, props to Nicole Kidman for giving a damn wow. Yeah, yeah. When she puts her mind to it, she can. When she do puts it. on like the, the, that frumpy dress with the eighties like perm. And then like, when she's like, happy, and then when she's like know. very bitter about what the hell happened to her sons, and then when she's sick and all that. I mean, Good like, support. She had... She's nominated for supporting actress, right? At least. She got she got a nomination. For I'm not movie? sure. I'm asking you. Do you know? She's barely in it. She's in it for like half. Huh? <laughs> it's supporting. It's still supporting. I guess. I would say you know. I mean like. 
but this is an adventure story. I mean, not, uh, not, not in a nice way too. It's like, you know, just the journey of yeah. this young boy across the world. Yeah, obsessed for looking for his village. Yeah. And the obvious freaking... <laughs> Yo, the weirdest introduction of Google Maps I've ever seen. In a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it felt like product placement, especially how they set up that moment where like, <laughs> oh, I don't even know where I come from. Have you used Google Maps? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you could have done that a little bit more subtly. Yeah, you almost <laughs> made me do a double take, man. I could have just spoiled my entire record. <laughs> I was like, wait, wait. Oh, like that whole section where it's like, you know, it's amazing. We can calculate the distance of the train and then we can kind of pinpoint. <laughs> it. It's like, it's like, there's a whole section of he's emotional and he's like crying and he's like. Yeah, I don't want to talk like, about it. I don't want your Google Google Maps plug placement, but I'll use it regardless. And then like, there he is. He's like skimming through Google Maps and he's like you know putting check marks and everything. He's like, okay, I get it. You're using Google Maps. <laughs> yeah. You know, thank you Google for reuniting this long lost boy 25 years later with his mother. But. Uh, and the thing is, you can't spoil a based on a true story movie, right? I do, I need to look at the That's, credits again if Alphabet is part of the company that sponsored the film. I, was, like, <laughs> I mean, like, like it's, it's like, it, it's not jarring, but at the same time, like, mm, yeah, like, yeah, you could have... You, you, you shouldn't okay, have said, I'll be honest, they are worse product said, placements. Oh, man of steel, but anyway. No, but I would be like, I know what you like, mean, yes. Have you tried using the internet to find your mother? <laughs> you wouldn't have, like, oh, try Google Maps, you know? You know, they paid for like half the movie. You know, like, oh, God, damn it. I guess if you're a kid trying to make it big in the culinary <laughs> industry, you forget these things somehow. I mean, like, it's, it, it's not Oh, yeah, that. yeah, and then, and then, you know, when he saw the jelly, I was like, that really Indian candy that I saw, I guess that triggered all that shit. Jalabi like, yeah. or something? Yeah, Jalupi, yeah, yeah. Jalupi, Japur, Jalupni. Sorry, I apologize to all my Indian. Apologize to me, I'm course. Indian. <laughs> you too, you too. Jal- Jalupi, yeah. Which is why I can do the accent. Yes. It's not racist. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we talk. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, but I'll say, like, yeah, uh, Dave Patel, amazing actor. I mean, he's good at what he's doing. Uh, Nicole Kidman strong performance as well story is perfect just I mean but I love the how it starts you know like the scene where he got lost yeah. he gets like you know Shanghai and he's like on this open and then train. the train scenes and everything and even like when yeah. the train stop it's all like oh this is a lonely lonely place you're in dude I mean it had yeah. the right amount of tension and it, like it, like they filmed it like a horror story with shadows and like very minimal lighting yeah. and like, like the moment where he is rescued like you know, sort of when he goes to the orphanage. Yeah. Like I, I let out a sigh of relief. Like, oh, this kid. Yes, you survived. You know. And then, the, and then it turns out the orphanage. There's a reason why it was then, shot like and that. Then be- and then it becomes another movie. Now it becomes a movie about this kid who's raised in Australia. You know, yeah. like, he's got a nice accent. Where are you from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Australian, so that might be racist. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying this <laughs> to all my Australian fans. <laughs> Put yep, yep. shrimp on the Hashtag Barbie. shrimp on the Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> Fork, spoon, knife. Oi. <laughs> all the oxen free. Okay, stop. <laughs> Lion. Okay, but another joke aside. Lion. Okay. I would say like these are the two contenders for me for best picture. Lion can get a bit schmaltzy, but it does it very subtly. It, you know? The schmaltzy bits are actually there. I mean, I mean with it's the there, mother yeah. and the son, you know. It's I mean it, it's well earned in a sense. It's not like 
leading yes. up to an overblown piece. I would piece. say that it is well earned. You know, like you know, because how it starts, you know, it felt like uh, just this, this kid who's just not trying not to yeah. get raped, yeah, literally. Yeah. And then you can understand why he's distant as an adult. In I mean, as a teenager or a juvenile adult, I guess, with his Dave Patel mode. He went to a university in Melbourne, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but. Yeah. And then again, like, of course, Oscar bait, based on the true story. And yeah, they did kind of, like, show the actual person at the end of the movie. Yeah. I mean, that's I mean, also your sort of product placement bit, too. So. Yeah. I mean, no, but... It's for a good cause, but again, you know, you can't help but feel, yeah. I would say Lion. I loved it. Lion, Lion and Moonlight were the highlights. Like, out of all these movies I've seen, like, probably Manchester by the Sea, but I haven't finished watching it. Like, yeah. I liked it, but I, I can't really give a full opinion. Yeah. Everything I'm, I'm with you. Like, I'm so with you there. Lion, Moonlight, they deserve it. Mm. Um, Hell or High Water, I kind of want it to be nom- Like, I mean, I'm glad it got nominated. A good Western's doing? always good. It's always good to have a Western there somehow. Okay, so, I mean, I think maybe we can cap this off. Like, do you agree with me? Do you think Moonlight should win Best Picture? I'm gonna go with Lion. I don't know. Oh, it's so a really tough opinion. choice, dude. It's like Sophie's choice. Like, <laughs> this is tough. I really like both like, three. This three of these films. But I mean, if I had to choose, I would choose Moonlight over Lion. I'll pick. I'll pick Lion at the least. Being a lost kid, so really, really the, harrowing. Being a lost kid. Mm, all right. Yeah. So, I think uh, maybe we should uh, wrap this up. But at the same time, we should also lead into next week on the Last King, where. I want to talk about the Oscar snubs and the travesties. That yes, came movies here. that came out in 2016 but were that never nominated. should have been nominated. <clears throat> Sing yeah. Street. <laughs> oh, oh, Deadpool. But, <laughs> but um, okay, tell you what, we'll save that uh, conversation for another time. Is yeah. there anything else you want to add about uh, the, 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 all these movies we watched? Yeah, that's about it. Um, yeah, you've, you've heard us both talk about this, so yeah, if you want to tell actually us follow- what you think, yeah. yeah. No. Please tweet to us at Last King Podcast or yeah. you know find us on Instagram at Last yeah, King Podcast. Yeah, check out our website and check, check out, out okay, our Facebook, our website, thelastking.net, <laughs> and yes. also our podcast on iTunes. SoundCloud, iTunes, and other various podcast mediums yet to be introduced. Yes, <laughs> totally, totally. And with that, I think we can wrap up the uh, the episode. Okay, this has been your co-host. Director Shafiq, Mr. Coffee, would you take us away? Yeah, so yeah, I'm looking forward to all these awesome new movies coming out in 2017. I mean, we've got Spider-Man, we've got, wow, we've got Beauty and the Beast, a live-action show. We've got, I guess, another Thor movie. I don't know if you're looking forward to that, but sure. But yeah, hopefully the Oscar picks, There's these guys are smart enough to pick the right movies, <coughs> Moonlight or Lion. Either way. Fuck Lala <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's your thought right there. Hashtag fuck Lala Land. <laughs> and with that, this is Toffee signing out.
next time on The Last King Podcast. More Oscar tales for your listening pleasure as director Shafiq and Mr. Toffee talk about snubs and travesties from the Academy Awards past. And here, as the dynamic duo bitch about undeserving whimsical diatribes like the English Patient, Dances with Wolves, and Forrest Gump. Never go full retard, as Blackface Tony Stark would say. Same time, same last game channel.